0: From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Brian Walsh, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, October 14th. Today, I'm joined by Daniel Waldron, Head of Insights at Acumen, who is here to discuss lessons from the investors' two decades of deploying patient capital in companies serving some of the world's poorest customers. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Brian. Nice to be here. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast, and great to have you. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. $1 $1 trillion. That's the total assets under management for impact investing, according to the Global Impact Investing Network, or the GIN. They announced this figure at their annual investor forum in The Hague this week, where the focus was on an even larger opportunity, the $100 trillion in publicly listed equities. Another impact investing conference, SOCAP, that's Social Capital Markets, returns to San Francisco next week. The event has a new investor, Common Future. This Oakland based nonprofit is focused on economic and racial equity, but they've turned into a strategic investor after receiving seven figure unrestricted grants from Mackenzie Scott and the Skoll Foundation. Last month, Common Future acquired Seattle based nonprofit lender Community Credit Lab. Hydrogen is so hot right now. High24 Partners, based in Paris, raised 2 billion euros to invest in clean hydrogen infrastructure. Hydro 4 Partners has already invested in a network of hydrogen fueling stations across Europe and in green hydrogen fuel for transportation, aviation, and industry. And finally, hip-hop super producer Corey Denard, also known as Mr. Hanky, has teamed up with Sierra Club organizer Michael Hawthorne to give the climate movement some swagger. Their Clean Energy Culture campaign, Will engage hip hop artists and entertainers to activate black communities around climate opportunities. Now it's time for our featured conversation. Acumen is a household name in impact investing. When it launched in 2001, founder Jacqueline Novogratz did not promise investors that she'd make the money. After all, Acumen is a nonprofit. But she did promise them change, using investments as a means to solve some big issues with global poverty. Acumen's approach was to deploy long-term or patient capital into companies providing critical services to very poor people, things such as energy, housing, sanitation, and agricultural services. My guest Daniel Waldron is Head of Insights for Acumen. Waldron has co-authored a new report written up this week in Impact Alpha that unpacks the financial returns, the impact, and the lessons Acumen has learned after two decades and $115 million invested into 123 portfolio companies. So Daniel, can you take us inside Acumen's portfolio? What are some of the companies that you are most excited about?
1: Absolutely. And thanks again, Brian, for having me today. Within the portfolio right now, and I should say, the portfolio covered by the report is in the five kind of emerging markets regions that we invest in. So India, Pakistan, East and West Africa, and Latin America. We also invest in the United States of America. That's not covered in this report and I won't talk about it as much because it's a very different model there. So within our portfolio, what really gets me excited is the investments we're making in agriculture and in kind of the productive use of energy is what we call it. To a lot of other people, it just looks like efficient capital, um, large machinery that can help people earn more money or earn money from different sources. and so. You know, you have Burn Manufacturing, which is just a wildly successful company, cook stove company in East Africa. They, you know, it took them, God, six or seven years to sell their first million stoves. They've sold their second million in the last year, and that is a company that's saving people money, that's saving people time, that's you know mitigating carbon emissions. So, what's not to be excited about there? And they've really tapped into the carbon credit markets. Um, I mean, in Latin America we have a company Azahar, which is. It, it's a coffee buyer. It, it, it procures beans from co-ops and cooperatives throughout Latin America, but they're really doing some interesting stuff in terms of changing how farmers get paid for their coffee and actually trying to figure out what, is, what do you actually have to pay a farmer so that they can prosper? Not just you know subsist in poverty or continue, but actually prosper. Take a vacation, live like a, a high quality life and base your pricing off of that and work from there. And so, I mean, I I could go on and on. Those are two of the many companies that I'm pretty excited about.
0: Now, you have done what very few impact investors have done. You share data on your financial returns. Can you give us a snapshot?
1: Yeah. So over 20 years, 2001 to 2020, that's where we stopped the data collection. Um, As we valued our portfolio on, on sort of midnight on New Year's Eve 2020, we're on track to return 91 cents on the dollar from the investments we've made over those 20 years in those regions. And uh, if you're looking to, you know, make money on your pension or your 401k, that might not sound particularly good for a nonprofit investing in companies serving people in poverty. Um, I think it's incredible. It's it's philanthropy at its most efficient and its most impactful. Um, and I know that may sound slightly odd to say, saying we lost nine cents on the dollar, and I'm happy to talk about why.
0: Well, So why did you lose nine cents on the dollar?
1: Because... Our winners don't pay for our losers. It's the first big case. Um, So you know our our most successful companies, the 20 most successful, the average return is about 2x. Um, Forget IRR for the second, just we'll get it back about twice what we put in. That doesn't make the venture capital model work, right? You need a 10x or a 40x in there to cover all your losses. Our hit rate's fine. It's just, it's a lot of singles and doubles. There's not home runs in there in that sense. And so you know, we've taken losses on a lot of companies. A lot of them have actually been still really impactful. We've over 150 million people reached by companies that we'll take some loss on, right? Um, and so you have that, and then you have the higher cost that it takes to reach people in poverty, right? There's a lower willingness and ability to pay, so the margins are tighter. It's analog services, right? We don't invest in that many pure digital plays, um, frankly, because our capital's not needed there. And so, you know, you've got lower margins, you've got slower growth trajectories, and it's less liquid capital. So uh, valuations are suppressed and it's harder for us to exit. Add all those together. Um, like I said, our hit rate's fine, but we're not. it's not going to be a profitable model operating those markets. But it does return you know, most of the vast majority of our capital while still creating a huge impact.
0: You said your, your hit rate is comparable to the hit rate of other You know traditional venture capital firms. Uh, So, of the 123 companies that you've invested in, or so, how many exits have you been able to realize?
1: Total. Well, so we've invested equity and debt throughout the years. I think we're primarily known as an equity investor, we've actually invested quite a lot of debt, both into our equity investments and just as standalone notes or or convertibles that we never converted. Um, When you actually look at equity exits for those 20 years, it was 16 companies that we were able to sell shares of our equity in, but. Uh, 10 of those were to some degree or another distressed or we sold at some markdown. And so six companies, six companies in 20 years that we actually sold equity at a profit in um, and a lot more really successful equity investments that are outstanding, but they may stay outstanding, right? Like we, that's what that tells you is that turning <laughs> outstanding gains into monetized gains is not easy in the places and the markets we invest in.
0: So the exit opportunities are are not as robust as they might be in other sectors or other geographies or other markets.
1: Absolutely, there are not the growth stage investors that, frankly, we would like there to be ready to invest later stage Series B, Series C capital in companies that are, you know, providing solar to off grid households. Actually, there's probably more investment there, but cook stoves, healthcare, agriculture, particularly, we don't see that equity following on. Um, I think it's getting better. We've made a few more exits just this year in our India portfolio. And so maybe that's a promising sign. But these don't tend to look like traditional VC exits. It's not secondaries to a PE firm or big strategic acquisitions. In some cases, it's just been promoters buying buying back our stake at at a gain, which is great. But um, it just tells me that the venture capital model, which is what so much of the impact investing space has organized itself around it's appropriate for a very narrow slice of companies. And there's just a whole bigger universe of really deeply impactful, both companies and even sort of hybrid or nonprofits that you can reach if you're willing to kind of expand your idea of what's possible.
0: So what uh, what other types of capital then do you think are necessary to come into the markets where you operate?
1: Well, I would love to see more growth stage capital come in and, and, and to invest in our companies, right? And so um, I do think... And I think if you could start to value some of the impact better, you would see more of it. Right? We're seeing that certainly in businesses that have carbon impact or starting to raise significant capital because it's demonetized. But when you look at small and growing businesses, agribusinesses particularly, that are going to have deep impact but aren't likely to scale, even nationally in some cases, certainly not internationally, they need capital that's going to take risks with them, that's going to grow with them. But we've just, I mean, we've shown in this report, it's not likely that you're going to get uh, an equity exit as you would think of it in the VC model. So what does that mean? It means something that looks like equity and that it shares risk and is flexible over time, but probably has some exit structured into it. And that's what we're investing more of is kind of hybrid mezzanine type instruments where you know, it could be a convertible that after five years will either convert or will get paid down over the next five years when we've just made an investment like that. And so it aligns the incentives without, um, without just keep banging our heads on, on, on the wall of just doing equity investments and hoping we'll exit to somebody when we've seen in many cases that that follow-on investor isn't there. Now, you
0: never promised uh, financial returns uh, to, to the uh, funders that provided money to you as a nonprofit, but you did promise change. And what have you been able to achieve on the impact side?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're a nonprofit. Just to be clear, we give nothing back, right? We The, the capital, we do return that 91 cents. will go back to Acumen's coffers and we'll recycle it. But in terms of the impact, I mean, the, the sort of top line numbers are great. It's 380 million people impacted by the companies in this sort of data period that we looked at. Um, but when you get beyond that, I mean, if you look at off-grid solar, we've built a market along with a lot of other people, IFC, a lot of other investors, but you build a market sounds kind of vague and, and is a little bit in specific, but if you look at Kuriicho in Kenya, which is a mid-sized town, um, there was research done over three periods from about 2009 to 2014. When they started in 2009, there was two solar products on the market in the entire town. Vendors were, you know, the off-grid lighting scene was flashlights and batteries, and vendors were beat up all the time because of how poor quality the products were. Fast forward five years, there was 84 solar products on the market. Prices for solar had dropped by two thirds. And sales had risen 30x, and that was driven by a lot of factors, but primarily also by two of the companies we'd invested in, Delight and M-Copa, and then a whole lot of knockoffs and sort of copycats, and that's fine too, right? But um, you just saw suddenly people had options, and they had a higher quality of life, and that was just driven by a market-based solution that was supported by some people willing to take some risk.
0: This this point about the. Providing options for the poor, uh, I think that hits on a theme throughout Acumen's two decades of really thinking about the human dignity and the agency of the the people that you're seeking to help. Uh, can Can you speak a little bit about that and and how that kind of uh, is embedded into your work?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's from it's the core of it. It is the idea that you need a market based solution. I mean this was. 2001, quite a while ago, but like this was a reaction to aid and to the failures of development aid and kind of handouts, right? And so what if you invested in companies that were going to sell to customers and respond to their preferences, and if customers didn't like it, they would go out of business. And so like, be accountable to the people you want to serve. And so I I could give you a dozen examples. I mean, cookstoves were something that had been given out for 30 years, but finally we invested in in a cookstove company in Bern that listens to its customers that is really rigorous about incorporating feedback about how the product looks, feels, operates, how food tastes cooked on it. And they, you know, they iterate that design really quickly. They found out people want larger stoves than we would think they would need because people want to have a stove that can cook for the entire extended family when they come over. I mean, and so, and and there were, for a while, they were the best stove on the market. Then some larger stoves came in, the market share started to slip and they reacted and Um, We have a lot of stories like that about just responding to preferences and not sort of deciding what people need from New York, but rather being responsible to to selling something they're willing to buy.
0: And again, Acumen kind of pioneered this notion of patient capital, which is, you know, impact first investing and, you know over 20 years now, more investors are moving into this area. Uh, Some call themselves catalytic investors. But what are some of the lessons that you as Acumen have learned about what works and what doesn't work in this kind of catalytic or patient capital investing?
1: Yeah, I think... It starts with designing around what the problem you're trying to solve is, right? And so what is the problem? What are the solutions available? And what is the ecosystem you're investing in? And then the investment is going to look very different depending on what that is. So um, as one example, you know, I just talked about off-grid energy. If we stay on current track, about 200-odd million people who could afford an off-grid solution are not going to have electricity by 2030. and that's because they live in markets that are just too hard to reach. They're either too small or perceived as too risky. And so if that's the problem you want to solve, and it is one that we are really gearing up to tackle, we are working with um, a a really interesting and and really strategic list of partners to put together a facility that will blend grants, equity, and debt, and debt linked to impact to reach those customers, to either expand existing distributors or help other distributors move into markets that they otherwise it might not be economical to move into and bring that full sort of stack of capital to bear on a number of different companies to drive more impact for those customers who otherwise are going to be left behind as they have always been left behind. And that's just one example, right? But you start with the problem, you start with the solutions on, on offer, and that's us just trying to design around. And this has been designed with a lot of feedback from the companies operating you know, in the market in sub-Saharan Africa who would be the ones moving in there. It's not going to be an economical play for us, but we're going to blend together philanthropy, concessionary capital, and commercial capital, and we're going to make it happen. It's going to be a massive push by a lot of people. Um, But it was only done once you were sort of willing to say, what is it going to take to solve this problem? Let's go from there.
0: So, you know, Acumen has been around for 20 years, and the ecosystem has kind of evolved during that time. And there are lots of diverse players in the the market, that uh, there are development finance institutions, there are grant funders who provide fully concessionary capital, uh, there are commercial players, there are uh, local capital providers from the regions uh, where you're operating. Um, What is the role as you, as Acumen enters its third decade? What is its role in this ecosystem moving forward with all these different range of capital providers?
1: I mean, when we started, there were no impact investors. There were a few, but there were not many. And there were no social enterprises in that way because like the the supply didn't exist in some ways. So uh, it was really hard to find those first like first 15 investments over the, over the years. And then the space has just completely changed. And for a long time, we thought that we were... For, for a long time, we were the kind of bridge over the pioneer gap, the early stage capital that would eventually scale you to commercial and grow. But now we're the ones who push. We're the ones who are flexible and can offer the capital that fits the solution. And so we are not on a fixed time schedule like a fund would be. We are not limited to equity or debt or grant um, like other providers are. We can structure around the solution in a way that very, very few people can. And we can embrace solutions, I mean, as we've talked about, that will hopefully return our capital but may not provide market rate returns on, a, on any kind of typical investment timeframe. And the idea is that hopefully we can not only invest in those, but grow them to a point where they can either be scaled, whether that's through commercial investment or through government partnerships or whoever, or replicated in other places, because not everything should, that needs to scale on its own. But yeah, we're flexible, we can take that risk, and we can grow and learn and, and hopefully scale ideas.
0: You know, there there is an inherent tension to Acumen being a nonprofit capital provider that is focused on market-based solutions. Uh, but some uh, raise concerns about when you invest in these kinds of markets uh, that you are distorting the markets, but you don't have commercial returns that you're looking to seek. Uh, so, how do you how do you square that tension?
1: Yeah, it's one we get asked a lot. You might not be surprised, uh, not just by our partners, but by, by other investors. Uh, As Jacqueline occasionally likes to say, we're patient capital. We are not dumb capital. Um, And so one of the ways you do it is by hiring professional investors, and we have professional ICs. And um, on any given investment, we are expecting it to become financially sustainable business and to grow and to continue to serve people and to return our capital and to return some more on top of that as well. That usually takes longer than a fund could take. And um, the hit rate and the risk taking and all the things I talked about earlier mean On the portfolio in aggregate, we don't see a market rate return, but we certainly see it with many of our investments and we expect it with every new deal we make. I think Omidyar Networks sort of answered your question the best. They have this kind of spectrum of returns that they look at. And for a given set of investments, one where you're building out a new market, where you're trying out new ideas, where you're pushing the boundaries. And I would add to that, where you're working with people in poverty There's just, it's going to be sub-commercial. It's not going to be whatever the risk adjusted market rate is going to be because there's a lot of risk going into this. And so you would adjust that up quite a bit. Um, And yeah, I mean, we do it through constant dialogue with our partners. We do it by ensuring that our companies are going to, you know, we hold their feet to the fire like any other investor would. And we are there to help them and grow with them and get them to a place where they stand on their own. And then, yeah, when 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 it's sort of established and proven, we don't invest more. Our capital is not fungible. So we're not looking to throw any good money after bad in that way. But if you take it seriously on a deal-by-deal perspective and we're sort of very clear about what we're in there to do, that's how we try and hold ourselves accountable and make sure that we're not distorting markets, but rather building new
0: ones. So finally, does Acumen believe it's possible to invest in companies that are serving the poor?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that... I think that's been proven by a lot of people, not just us, it's been proven by the microfinance investors going back, you know, 20, 30 years as well. And lots of people invest in that, but they invest in it through ways that are sort of asset light and digitally focused or really focused on financial services. What's trickier is investing in things that are going to provide essential services or that are going to be on the ground dealing with, you know, durable goods, moving equipment and retail um, in physical space. And so those investments take longer early stage investments in those kind of companies, that's what we do. And that's what we've seen that, you know, the returns may not be market rate, but the impact can be much deeper and hopefully even broader as well. If you're willing to work with companies that serve what is a huge group of people who are otherwise ignored, like that can't just be the government's job. That's got to be the job for interesting and interested investors as well.
0: So Daniel, any last final thoughts on this investing as a means, your 20 years of patient capital report from Acumen?
1: Yeah, just two things. And I'll I'll be quick with both of them. The limit to all this, I think the limiting factor is how good we are at measuring our impact. And we're pretty good at measuring in a broad way. And so with stuff like carbon, particularly, you've seen a monetization of that impact. But the better we can get at that, the better we will be at at having people. I think people are willing to accept the trade-off. Um, of maybe somewhat sub-commercial returns for really deep impact, but we're not able to get quantified that in a way that I think would crowd in more capital. So that's number one. And the second, I'm just not sure I articulated it well. Um, the venture capital model has eaten impact investing. And I think maybe eaten is the wrong way is, is choking it a little bit and is preventing it from being as impactful as it otherwise could be. And so for, freeing ourselves of that and accepting that that model works for a pretty small subset of kind of tech and finance plays, but there's a lot more we could be doing if we kind of free ourselves and and look at different instrument structures, just modes of investing. Um, That's the biggest takeaway I would want other investors to get from this report.
0: That's great. Thank you so much, Daniel Waldron, the head of Insights for Acumen. Thank you so much,
1: Brian. Really appreciate it.
0: That's going to do it for your Impact Briefing this week, thanks to Daniel Waldron and our producer extraordinaire, Isaac Silk. Are you ready to try Impact Alpha? Sign up for Impact Alpha open, which is free of charge. You can go directly at impactalpha.com. If you want to go deeper, grab a subscription and get full access to the site, agents of Impact calls, and the daily email brief. Just go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and choose an annual subscription. I'm Brian Walsh, head of sustainability for the capital markets firm TPI Cap. Until next time, take good care.